the 90s. Welcome to the Millennials of SoCal podcast with Philly Phil and Nat Attack. Let's talk about the music, cartoons, and everything else about the best generation. That is so yesterday. Hey everybody, it's Philly Phil. And it's the Nat Attack. And we are the Millennials of SoCal. We're back at it again. This is week three of Halloween series. And based upon what's been going on recently, first off, we brought up the title Blade to our show last week, saying that the new one will be coming out next year. But based upon Marvel News, it's actually been postponed. Yeah, that and several other films have been postponed. Is that yeah. correct? Yes. Uh, big films that we heard this year that were going to come out next year are unfortunately going to be coming out 2024, some 2025, and 2026. Oh man, that's way too too long from now. And it's not just including Blade. Talking about Deadpool, Fantastic Four, and The Avengers Secret Wars. Well, I wonder what's holding them back. I honestly don't know, but... If they make it really good, it will be worth the wait. Yeah, it better be worth the wait. It better be. <laughs> yeah, you don't want a movie to take a long time to make, and the next thing you know, it comes out and it becomes crap. Yeah, we don't want that. Yeah, we. but that's the unfortunate news on the Marvel part, but we know they can provide, so fingers crossed. That's right. So anyways, Nat... Anything new on your side? Well, did you hear about the incident at the restaurant? What incident in which restaurant? Well, it's kind of a paranormal story. Do you want to hear it? Well, it is October and it is the season. Light the candle for me. (laughs) Okay. Candle is lit. Let's set the mood. Dim the lights. Uh, yeah, so years ago at this at this very restaurant, the hash slinging slasher used to be a fry cook, just like you, only clumsier. And then one night when he was cutting the patties, it happened. He forgot the secret sauce? No. He didn't wash his hands? No. Irregular portions? No, he cut off his own hand by mistake. You mean like this? Or like this? Or this? Or this? Wait, but except he wasn't a sponge. So? It didn't grow back. Oh, no! <laughs> Then he replaced his hand with a rusty spatula, and then he got hit by a bus, and then at his funeral, they fired him. So now every, uh, what day is it? Monday. Every Monday night, his ghost returns to the crusty crab to wreak his horrible vengeance. But tonight's Monday night. Oh, then he will be coming. How will we know? Well, there are three signs that signal the approach of the hash-slinging slasher. First, the lights will flicker on and off. Next... The phone will ring and there will be nobody there. And finally, the hash sling slasher arrives in the ghost of the bus that ran him over. Then he exits the bus, crosses the street without looking both ways, because he's already dead. Then he taps on the window with his grisly spatula hand. He opens the door. He slowly approaches the counter. And you know what he does next? What? You really want to know? What? Are you sure you want to know? What, 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 what does he do? And he gets ya! Ah! 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 <laughs> that is the story of the hash-slinging slasher. Oh. <laughs> like that role-playing. So, bringing that up takes us to our first topic for the day, which is, of course, the Spongebob episode Graveyard Shift. Oh, that was a great episode, yo. 
Oh, heck yeah. This episode aired September 6, 2002. So pretty much a month before October. Mr. Krabs notices a dumb customer trying to order during closing hours and decides to keep the Krusty Krab open 24 hours, forcing Squidward and SpongeBob to work the graveyard shift. SpongeBob, as abnormal as he is, pleased about the opportunity as Squidward is disappointed. Right. Squidward scares SpongeBob with the, the legend that Nat just spoke to scare SpongeBob. And next thing you know, the, the actual signs that Squidward said would happen started happening throughout the end of the show. And next thing you know, the hash-slinging slasher appears when the bus drops him off. Right. Right? And then later winds up being just a random civilian wanting a job at the Krusty Krab. Which, who wants a job at the Krusty Krab? Yeah, I know. No. Isn't it something, right? But it's just the whole act was funny. Yeah. Of course. So, the trivia to this show, which is one, based on the Hatchling and Slasher, they based the Slasher on horror villains such as Freddy Cougar, Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers, and something funny uh, about the Hashling Slasher name. So the term hash sling is actually flipped around. So technically it's supposed to mean like sling hash. Okay, what does that mean? That means to work at a fast food restaurant. Oh, so, <laughs> so, so if someone asked you where do you work, Spongebob would say, oh, I'm a sling hash? Pretty much, yes. Oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, but Squidward flipped it and made it a a serial killer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, the name is usually mispronounced as well, also, too. Because even me and you, we call the Slashling Slasher. Yeah, well, I was struggling during our little monologue to even say the the name properly because it's kind of a tongue twister. Oh, yeah, it, it pretty much is. And things that we use the term, the name, the Hashling Slasher, an incident we had back in screenwriting class. If you remember this, but it was when we were dating. I don't know, when, when we were in screenwriting and we were just sitting there, and next thing you know, the lights started flicking on and off because uh, <laughs> a classmate that was messing with the instructor at that time, and it was, the lights were flickering on and off, on and off, and I just said out loud, the hashling slasher. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, that was good. You have a, a you have good timing in those comedic points there, yeah. Billy. Billy, yeah. Oh, back to the trivia facts. So. In other countries, of course, dubbing and terminology changes to the show. In the country of Croatia, the name is a parody of Jack the Ripper. Okay. So they give the hashlinging slasher a different name, and that name in Croatia means Jack the Ripper. Oh, it's okay. a it's a weird term. I cannot say it, and I'm not gonna say it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Try not I to don't understand. It. Yeah. I'm not gonna butcher it. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. So, want to hear something interesting? Some interesting fact. About the show? Yeah, please tell me. So if we noticed there was a silent film image in the end of the show, which is Nosferatu, which was a 1922 silent film. Oh, yeah. Yes, it was pretty much that film was the original first Dracula movie to ever come out. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So it was put into the show. And why was it put into the show? It was a gag idea. Oh, really? And Steven Hillenberg heard about this gag and he's like, I like it. Let's put it in. <laughs> Right? So one of the staff members, uh, Jay Lender, 
searched really hard to find pictures of Nosferatu, which is Count Orlok. And back in those days, internet was still pretty much new and it was harder to find images of an old film because even the history of the film, there was no copyrights to Bram Stoker. So majority of the films were destroyed because they didn't get permission. So it was pretty hard to find anything based upon Nosferatu. So it was a huge search. Wow, I'm, I'm assuming it might have been an expensive search too if they wanted to insert him into the episode. Yes, but they did. They were able to find the image. And once they got the images that they needed, Nick Jennings photoshopped all that fun stuff on there. Of him flipping the light switch and him smiling. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that was a creepy image at the end. As a child, I didn't understand the reference, but I'm really glad you, you told me now. It yeah. makes sense, yeah. That's it for the whole Spongebob episode. You know uh, what? I want to remind you what else is in that episode. What? The Spongebob's little at night thing oh. that he does, which is so, which is so uh, iconic. I mean, if all the quotes you remember from Spongebob, whether it be my leg or you, whatever, you know, <laughs> or, it, or uh, ravioli, ravioli, give me the formioli, you know, at, right, at night is also one of them. And I like to say that sometimes like, oh, look, we're driving around. Yeah. At night. And what I think about that episode, oh, I always like the part when Squidward is reading his book and he hears noises and Spongebob mopping in the ceiling. <laughs> and then next thing you know, the lights start flickering on and off like crazy. It's just like... <laughs> and then Squidward's just like, Sponge, Spongebob, can you stop that? And Spongebob's walking, he's like, what are you talking about, Squidward? Mm -hmm. And then he looks at the switch and he realizes it's not flipping and he's all freaking out like, what the heck? <laughs> I like the part where he freaks out and he says, the walls will ooze green slime. Oh, wait, they always do that. Yeah. <laughs> or the phone call part where he's like, hello, hello, hello. And all these things that that he said would happen. Yeah, they're so coincidental. And, and he just made that up, but it was actually happening. And, uh, and he starts freaking out. I was like, wait a minute. And what you said, the green, what was it? The green slime will ooze from the walls or something. So, yeah. He's like, oh, wait, they, they always do that. <laughs> and then the bus comes and he freaks out. <laughs> I mean, Spongebob never fails to make me laugh. Every episode has something that I can remember forever, you know? Yes. It's so great. Yeah. All right, well, that's it for SpongeBob. And the next episode to talk about, Nat, go ahead. Yeah, let's talk about the next episode. Um, we did some research, and we watched the first episode of Ah, Real Monsters. Ooh, nice. Nice. It was, it was fun to watch. So this animated children's show aired from 1994 to 1997 with four seasons and 52 episodes. The show was created by Peter Gaffney, uh, Gabriel Cuspo, and Kate Boulier, and the show was produced by Klasky Cuspo. Um, these creators all had parts in creating various 90s cartoons that we love, like, you know, of course, the Rugrats, the Wild Thornberries, and even the Simpsons. Wait, what? The Simpsons? Yeah, it's, uh, I think it was uh, Kate Boulier had a part in um, oh, working with the Simpsons. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So if you don't remember the show, uh, it followed three friends as they attended school to learn how to scare humans. Um, the friends were Itkiss. This is the purple one with the large ears. Oblina is the tall one, and she's the black and white stripes with the red lips, right? Mm -hmm. Crumb is the guy with the hairy armpits and the holding his eyeballs in yeah. his hands. It won an award um, in the Ottawa International Animation Festival in 1994 when it first came out. This is the only award it won. Oh, the <laughs> yeah. first one, huh? I think because it was so different, the show was different than you know what we normally see on television. It it won an award for creativity. I'm I'm assuming. Oh yeah. Um, some of the iconic character voices included Tim Curry as Zimbo, uh, Jim Belushi that Jim, you love. Jim mm -hmm. Belushi, yes. Yeah, he's Simon the Monster Hunter. And uh, Phil, do you remember the tagline for this show? 
Uh, no. What is it? You remember it was coming to a toilet near you. Oh, that's right, because in the episode, uh, it gets jumps in the toilet. He tries to flush himself down the toilet. Right, I guess that's the way to go back underground to the monster world, right? Yes. Yeah, so some people claim that Disney Pixar Monsters with, you know, Sully and Mike Wazowski was inspired by the show because the idea of monsters going, having... Going to school. Yes, going to school and to learn how to scare humans. They got the idea from that, from this show, All the wow. Monsters. Maybe it's true, but we don't know, you know. Wow. Right, right. So in the first episode that we saw, um, it was entitled The Switching Hour, which came out October 29th in 1994, right before Halloween night. In this episode, the three friends go to the human world on Halloween night. Before that Halloween night, though, Idkiss is out rummaging through garbage, and he scares a, a little boy named Nikki. And the next day, Nikki dresses up as Idkiss for Halloween, you know, a scary costume. Mm -hmm. And Idkiss is in the human world, Nikki is walking around as Idkiss, and they get switched at a party. Oblina and Crumb accidentally take the kid home to the dump, to their monster world, and Idkiss gets stuck in the human world and has to play Nikki. And it's really funny to watch because eventually Crumb and Oblina figure out, oh, this isn't Idkiss, this is a young boy. Did you notice that these characters were smart in this episode? <laughs> yes, now we'll see it now, yes. Yeah, I mean, compared to other shows we've watched, I mean... A good example is just the previous episode that we talked about, Spongebob, right? That one fish that, like, doesn't realize that the Krusty Krab is closed and he keeps ordering. Yes. That energy, was it's not the same for all real monsters. In all real monsters, the characters were, like, smart and they fixed the issue themselves, right? They resolved it at the end. Mm -hmm. So it was really fun to watch. This The animation is super creepy. I mean, I don't know why I like these characters. Like these hairy armpits and <laughs> I don't know. They were just ugly characters, but they were also very endearing and yeah. they were cute to watch, you know? Yeah, that's funny. Um, the punishment for them escaping on Halloween night, it's like there's punishment one, punishment two. You do not want to know what punishment three is and it's a nice, beautiful house. Yeah, it, it looks so different compared to the first two options. The last one is just like a little pink house. It's yeah. like you don't want to know what's going to happen in here. Yeah, and the first two are like torturous punishments, but the third one looks like a beautiful house. And of course they got snitched out in the end and the Ickes was like, what's terrifying about door number three? <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to know. And of course the show ends there because... We don't know. Yeah, we never find out. <laughs> right, so that's that's All Real Monsters. But did you know that All Real Monsters had a crossover in the Rugrats show? Actually, no, I do remember, actually. Yes. Yeah, let's talk about that next, shall we? Yeah, go ahead. So, Ivke, Soblina, and Crum make an appearance on the Rugrats show, Season 6, Episode 13, entitled Ghost Story. Both shows were created by Klasky Kuspo. Um, and this was the first time Nickelodeon had a crossover, and its success inspired all the other crossovers that we've seen. Oh. This was the first crossover of Nickelodeon, essentially. Wow, you know what, you're right. Yeah, because then Wild Thumbberries did it with the Rugrats, too. Right, later on. So, Ghost Story. Um, of all the episodes in the Rugrats series, this is actually the 103rd episode. So, it aired on Nickelodeon on March 27, 1999, this episode. This happened after uh, the Rugrats movie, so we get to see Dill Pickles in this episode. Mm -hmm. Okay. On a dark and stormy night, the Rugrats gather in Angelica's room around a battery-powered campfire and begin making up scary stories that they, you know, each take turns telling. Fed up with the babies not making her ghost story scary enough, Angelica tries to take control of the tale, leading them to an attic in a haunted house. There, the Rugrats meet the cast of Ah! Real Monsters, and they end up scaring Angelica more than anyone else. <laughs> well, <laughs> what I liked about that part was the Rugrats convince the monsters that you don't want to eat us, you can have, like, pudding... And Crumb is like, hmm, eat babies or pudding. And Ickis goes up to, I think, who is it, Chucky? 
It looks chucky. And he said, hmm. Ew. Pudding. <laughs> and they all just go downstairs to have pudding instead. I mean, the babies were kind of smart for doing this, right? <laughs> yeah, because even in the show, the monsters don't eat people. No, right. That There was a few inconsistencies from all real monsters and the Rugrats. Like, um, I think they said... Uh, they don't eat children, but in this episode, supposedly they do. And then I think the monsters are not allowed to watch TV because they're going to turn into potatoes. But they do watch TV. So, I mean, there are a few inconsistencies, but with crossover episodes, you kind of switch things around, you know? Oh, yeah. There's some things that they change around those shows. Right. So, in this episode, we see the babies are kind of dressed up. Chucky is himself. Um, Phil and Lil resemble two creepy characters. And it's said that they are dressed similarly or they were drawn after uh, Gabe or Cuspo which is a co-founder of the animation studio, Klasky Cuspo. So apparently in real life, uh, Mr. Cuspo dresses kind of gothic, I would assume. <laughs> so they kind of drew the Phil and Lil after his, his style. Yeah, yeah. his appearance, mm -hmm. yes. Tommy is a cute little ghost that resembles Casper, and Angelica is a witch, you know, for obvious reasons. <laughs> of course. This is the only episode where the grown-ups did not appear. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, like I said, there's there's more to talk about the Rugrats. Again, that's going to be another episode. But this episode was really fun to watch. And it has great history that this was the first Nickelodeon crossover. So that's that's super cool. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty cool. Even though for us, we didn't really know that. But now we do. Yep, now we do. You just yes. learned you a thing. Yeah, and you want to know something? I've been getting messages about Blade that a lot of people have not been really reading the credits. So I was right about that. They were just more focused on the action and not reading the credits and finding out, oh, wow. Is it a Marvel movie? And then they start reading. I'm like, oh my god, it was based on Marvel. Yeah, well, I'm glad that our podcast was able to teach people some cool facts. I mean, because I feel like I'm learning a lot, too. Yep, yep, yep. So, was that it for Rugrats, Bubs? Yeah, that's Rugrats. So, you want to move on to the next show? <clears throat> yes, I'm going to move on to the next show. So, you knock two birds with one stone. Sounds like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so here's my next show. So this is pretty much for, well, we watched it too as kids, but this is something for older siblings. So it's Are You Afraid of the Dark? Oh, that's a good one. So this was a horror mythology show where a group of kids surround a campfire telling scary stories and the show leads to a different setting, right? So as soon as their story begins, there's a fade to a new setting where they're pretty much telling the story. Oh, like a reenactment? Yes. Okay. The series aired from 1990 to 1996. Of course, there was a revival that came out in 2019, but uh, so um, I have not seen the revivals. I just stick to the old school stuff, right? Right, me too. So this show was actually from Canada. Oh, really? Yes, really. It started even before Nickelodeon even picked them out. Nickelodeon decided to pick them out back in 1991 for the older kids. Okay. And of course the show, their first episode, started on Halloween. Oh, of course. That's smart. And their first show was called The Tale of the Twisted Claw. Little background on that show. It's just like the monkey paw story where you make a wish, it will be granted, but there's going to be a downfall to your wish. Oh, okay. Because they even use that in The Simpsons, too, where you make a wish, it'll come true, but there's always something bad. It's so that's why they always say, be careful what you wish for. Right, right. Right? Mm -hmm. That pilot was aired in 1990 on Halloween, right? But it was in Canada before Nickelodeon, right? Okay. So when Nick did sign the deed to put their show into Nickelodeon, they decide to keep the show filming in Canada. See, Nickelodeon had a thing about if we sign them, you have to film in Orlando, Florida, because that's where Nickelodeon was originally, in Universal Florida. 
but they made an agreement and they kept the filming in Canada. Oh, okay. Yes. The company's called Sinar, something like that. I don't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> Sinar, eh? 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 Yeah, but that's good that Nickelodeon was considerate to, okay, no, yeah, you, if you want to keep it here, fine, go ahead and keep it here, right? Just when you're done filming, send it to us. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, right? It was, of course, Nickelodeon and Canada, their channel called The Family Channel. Of course, it's called yeah, The Family Channel. The family I think channel. everything in Canada is so wholesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I know it is, huh? Yeah, uh, those Canadians, right? <laughs> Stop it. So anyways, getting back to the whole Nickelodeon and Are You Afraid of the Dark? Okay. So Nickelodeon, they aired this show October 25th, 1991. So not on Halloween day, but Halloween week. Okay, I'm starting to see a trend here with all these shows. Have you Yeah, noticed? back in those days, yeah. I think we were talking about this, that when they would make Halloween specials or upcoming Halloween shows, they would like to premiere them on the week of Halloween. Yeah, which was really smart. Yes, because nowadays they do it on September 30th or September Too early. 29th, too early. Or, yes, they do it too early or right on October 1st. So what Nickelodeon did was they created a block. So you know that every channel has a block where it's for a specific viewer. So at that time, this block was SNICK, S-N-I-C-K, like Snickers. And this was the block for teenagers, such as 12 and above, 12 to 18. Sometimes we would watch it too, but this block was only from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. So that sounds about right, right? Yeah, yeah. Because teenagers would stay up. Right. Some of them would do homework late. And, of course, have a, their fat screen TV on the wall and put on Snick. Okay. Yes. And Snick was the original T-Nick. Oh, okay. I don't know when the, the change from Snick to T-Nick was, but we're just saying at that time in the 90s, it was called Snick. This series was announced to become a live action film, but was removed later, then revived again in February 14th, 2019, in limited series. Oh, okay. On Valentine's, right? Okay. They could have done better and just done it the original way. Like, let's just do it in October. That would have been smart. Who wants to watch horror movies on freaking Valentine's Day? I mean, someone who's not in a relationship, likely. Uh, single awareness, huh? Single awareness day, yep. Yes. So, in the beginning of these shows, we see the same thing in the majority of the series, right? Okay. These group of teenagers who are called the Midnight Society, the, they're just like a club. They come to this campfire, which is a secret location, and when they all arrive, they talk to each other, just like as buddies, and then one of them has to come up with a story for the night. Okay. So, when one of the teenagers has a story for the night, they grab this sand from a leather pouch. Okay. And they say this, submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society. I call this story something. Ooh, very culty. But the funny thing is the teenagers dressed regularly. You see straight out 90s fashion right there. <laughs> Which all I love the, to all see of them, Yeah, all of them are just dressed the way they dress. Okay, we'll post a picture of that in, yeah. in Instagram. And of course, when they throw the the dirt into the fire pit it just blows up and then the the title of the tale pops up right there okay and of course then the show goes on so anyways that's mostly uh, are you afraid of the dark now we're going to go through some of the fun things about the show okay let's hear it there was this thing in the 90s and this is something i'm going to ask you now goosebumps show versus are you afraid of the dark okay which one do you think is better um i would say I would say Are You Afraid of the Dark is better because I feel it was more original. 
I would agree with you on that one. Because Goosebumps uh, was based after the book series, right? Mm -hmm. So you're just kind of remaking the books. But, you know, with Hollywood, like we've said before, they always change things. It's not exactly like the book, which can cause disappointment. And Are You Afraid of the Dark was its own thing. It was original. And I I would say that that was better. I 100% agree with you. I think Goosebumps did this because they wanted to compete with Nickelodeon. Okay. Yeah, and I do agree with you on that. I think a lot of real millennials would agree on that because, yes, you read Goosebumps. Goosebumps was a big book series in our day, but making it into a show, someone's like, oh my God, they made it into a show. But then if you're really into the book, you realize that, wait a minute, what happened to this? You start asking yourself questions as kids, like, wait a minute, I thought the book said this and then the show shows this, you know? Okay. And that's the thing that kids won't understand, right? So... Here's another fun fact. We all know this actor. He's well known now in this era. But when his younger days, when he was just a kid star, he actually was in this show. Who who was it? Ryan Gosling. Oh, really? Oh, yes. And I saw a picture of him. It's like, oh, my God. His, he still has the face, but in a little boy's body. <laughs> that sounds funny. So it's like, yeah, even today, he has a very youthful look, right? He still has a youthful look. Today, so it, it's like just a mini Ryan Gosling. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> pretty much. That's funny. And the clothing style, that was pretty much 90s right there, too. Okay. Yeah. Whole, and his episode was called Tell of Station 109.1. Okay. Yes. And guess who the other actor that was in that show? In that episode? Uh, I don't know. Who? Tell me. Gilbert Goffrey. Oh, that there was the voice of Tiago from Aladdin. Yes. Right? <laughs> is yeah. it Tiago? Is that how you say his name? Mm-hmm. So he was in there, and you can picture his voice. I can't even do his voice. Don't, I'm not don't, even don't do it. It doesn't sound good. Uh, right. yeah. That's it for Are You Afraid of the Dark? That was, that's, that was a great show. I remember it being a lot of fun to watch. Okay. Mm-hmm. You want to move on to the next thing? What's next? Philly, why don't you join me? Perhaps you can help me solve a mystery. What kind of mystery? <laughs> well, the show, Unsolved Mysteries, right? <laughs> it yeah. aired on TV from 1987 to 2010. It was hosted by Robert Stack. Do you remember? Oh, yeah, the, the guy that wore the trench coat. Robert Stack for one, was an amazing storyteller, right? But this show covered everything from murders to UFO sightings. It had reenactments and witness interviews. It was really fascinating to watch and one of the longest-running programs in television history. Mm-hmm. It was the first series to offer an audience-driven uh, call to action, so to speak, which is urging viewers to share tips that would help solve a real case. And many times it worked. This call to action worked because according to an article in Women's Health magazine, 260 mysteries were solved over the course of the 15 season show. Like these mysteries were actually solved by the audience, the viewers of this show in real life. Here are just a few. Uh, 50 formerly missing children were identified. There was an episode in Unsolved Mysteries that did a story about this woman who had abducted essentially over 5,000 children and sold them like kind of human trafficking. And then they did a story on it on the show and 50 kids were recovered from that tragedy. Another one was that a mother was wrongfully accused of murdering her son, but later after the show aired, she was released from jail because they thought that she had poisoned her son with antifreeze, gone to jail. Her second son was put into like a foster care situation But the kids started having similar symptoms to antifreeze poisoning, which was, you know, can't be it because the mother is now in jail. She's not poisoning her kid anymore. 
So um, a doctor actually saw the case, saw the show, and was like, hey, maybe this kid has something else. It wasn't antifreeze poisoning. And uh, they discovered that the kid just had like a disease or disorder that mimics poisoning. And the mother was released from jail. This came about because of the show. There was a mystery of a, a missing grandfather who they found him. Also a woman that was had amnesia. She was identified too because of these shows. So the, these things kept happening. It was really great. The show solved a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. And then one of... <laughs> Let me share one of the episode stories that was really fascinating and really scary to me. Are you ready to hear it? Yes, go ahead. Once you hear this, you can unhear it. Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> okay. So there was the episode called Spontaneous Human Combustion. This was season 9, episode 14. There's plenty of episodes of Unsolved Mysteries that have to deal with kidnappings, murders, random crimes. You know the deal. But there's nothing more fascinating than this season 9 episode that focuses on three cases of spontaneous human combustion. The first case involved a woman with her sweater catching on fire and then there was two other stories about essentially these people caught on fire from inside their bodies what yeah like a fire started inside of themselves and this fire of course blew them up they were you know engulfed in flames but the fire inside themselves didn't spread to anywhere else around the house it's like person just exploded internally yeah self-exploded internally and there's several cases where this has happened. One involved um, a gas company meter man. He came to a house, you know, to do his job as a meter man. But then he found the burnt remains of a 92-year-old man who had been burned with such intensity that the fire burned the hole through the floor and he fell into the basement. Oh my God. What? And, yeah. The second severe case of spontaneous human combustion involves a retired fireman who supposedly just mysteriously went up in flames without explanation. The first responders only found a few bone fragments and like a skull to identify him, but like neither of the cases have been solved. There's like, there's no reasonable explanation for why these fires started. The chemicals from the fire within themselves were different from, let's say, a normal burning fire or a normal fire from a cigarette. Mm-hmm. It was very different. Oh. The victims are normally chronic alcoholics, they're usually elderly. And a very strange phenomenon is as they're catching on fire, their hands and their feet fall off. Uh-huh. So it's just like their body is burning. Weird. Mm-hmm. Like I said, the fire doesn't cause any external damage. You know, this person can be in total flames, but the house is just fine. The, the fire does not spread. And, you know, the residue that's left over is very different. It's not like, oh, you turn into ashes. You turn into goop. It's weird. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that's one of the most weirdest and strangest Unsolved Mysteries episodes that I thought this show made a return or uh, what they rebooted it in 2020 on Netflix but with oh. but without the original host Robert Stack who unfortunately passed oh. away of heart failure in 2003 he was 84 years old wow yeah so that's unsolved mysteries wow that's weird super weird, weird. okay now now to the movies all right so, my favorite part hey oh yeah so we're gonna start with a ghost one okay so let's talk about this one ghost movie Notable producer, director, mostly director, Steven Spielberg. Oh, I love him. Oh, yes. No, it's not E.T. No, it's not Close Encounters. No, it's not Jurassic Park. It's one of his ghost movies, which is the title Poltergeist. Ooh, Poltergeist. Sounds scary. Yes. So this film came out in 1982. But the funny thing was it wasn't directed by Steven Spielberg, even though it is a Steven Spielberg film. Oh. It was directed by Tobe Hopper. If you know him, horror people, he created the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, iconic film. Yes, very iconic. Yeah, Leatherface, right? Right. But the movie was written and produced by Steven Spielberg himself. And not just him, he also had other people to help him out that was part of his staff. 
So the ones who helped him write the script were, of course, Michael Grace and Mark Victor. Okay. And also his fellow producer, Frank Marshall. We always see these names on Steven Spielberg movies. You always see the same names because Steven Spielberg had a thing about keeping his staff together. Okay. So, getting on to this whole director thing. So, there was a director dispute about who directed Poltergeist. Because if you're a good cinematographer, a film critic, you would know the difference between uh, a specific director's style of filming. So, the thing is, this is where we're going to get to. So, Spielberg and Hopper. So there was a dispute about Spielberg's contract due to him not being allowed to film another movie in another studio because at that time he was directing E.T. with Universal. So he couldn't be directing two movies at the same time. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he, he was keeping busy. And he was an American hero. Yeah, he is, yeah. So so the thing was that he they said he could work on the movie, he can produce the movie, but he can't direct in the movie. So... MGM decided to look for another director and they found this director who uh, this horror director who did the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is Tobe Hopper. So we get different um, different information from documentaries to articles that came out years ago about the whole who directed what, who did this, who did that. Right. OK. So some sites say that Spielberg did majority of the work. That he was the one that did the storyboard. He was the one that wrote the script. This was his story. He did all of it. Mm-hmm. And that the director, Tobe, was just there just to say action and cut. Okay. Well, I, I, I believe that. Yeah. Right? So, And also, he was doing the camera work, too. Because, you know, you see Spielberg's camera work in Poltergeist because you see it in other movies, too. And his, you know, his earlier movies. Because I see it a lot in Jaws. Similarities. So some articles do say that Tobe alternated Spielberg's idea to make it more of a horror than a sci-fi. So Tobe felt that Spielberg's original idea was more sci-fi. Okay. So probably the title wasn't Poltergeist originally. It probably was called something else. And Tobe was trying to say, oh, we need to change this. Let's change it to horror. Let's make us that, right? Okay. But we don't know. That's just some articles. Because even in the documentary, others... Say, no, Spielberg originally had this idea from the beginning. Oh, okay. So we don't know. That's the thing. That's between what they're going through. So we don't know. This is just what people post, right? Or Spe- Speculation? Or on, yeah, or speculate, right? Or what we see on the documentary, the Spielberg documentary, which is really good. It's on HBO Max. It's really good. Okay. But the thing is, is all we heard is that Spielberg had more involvement. He had more involvement than Hopper did. Even though he treated him fairly, like, oh, yeah, he's the director. Okay, guys, but we're going to do this. We're going to do that, correct? Um, I agree because I've never heard a bad review or a bad... I've never read a bad article about Steven Spielberg as his, yeah. himself he's or his a, personality. Yeah, they say you know? he's a really nice guy. Yeah. He's just very articulate on his shots, yes. just like Kubrick. Okay. Yeah, because even, like, his other producer, Frank, he even said, like, yeah, Steve, Steven was doing everything... But then Toby, what's uh, Toby? Sorry, I keep saying Toby. Tobe said, that, "Oh, I did half of the work." Which you know, there's not that much to say for him because even when I'm doing research, I can't find as much information about his part, what he put into the film. I agree. When I think of Poltergeist, I only think of Steven Spielberg. You bringing up this Tobe director is kind of left field for me. Yeah, that's how people thought. So the whole thing is that um, 
that Tobe was, he felt that he was not being idolized for this film, right? Okay. Because he's only been idolized for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Because okay. that was what got him started. Mm-hmm. And right. to be fair, it's a, that, to be fair, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is oh, yeah. a great movie. That, oh yeah, you know, it's a great horror movie. Yes. Yeah, but he doesn't have the same uh, names under his belt as Spielberg does. So, getting on to the whole dispute. So Hollywood was talking about like I see Spielberg doing this, but I don't see Toby doing this because even the work we can tell this is Spielberg. So the question is, why isn't Spielberg just considered the director or co-director? That's pretty much two directors in one movie. Yeah. But all it has to do was the whole universal contract of Steven Spielberg. Got it. That they didn't want him to direct it because he's already got too much on his hands as it is. But he can produce it. But Spielberg still put a lot of effort into the movie. Okay. So they just pretty much need like, what do you call it? Uh, somebody just to stand there and just sit, nod your head, say action cut. That's all. Maybe a stand-in. So a stand-in, yeah, mm-hmm. a stand-in director. There you go. Okay. That sounds much better. I'm gonna look up a letter real quick. Okay. All right. Give let's me one do second. it. This was an open letter to Hopper from Spielberg. It says, regrettably, some of the press has misunderstood the rather unique creative relationship which you and I shared throughout the making of Poltergeist. I enjoyed your openness in allowing me as a writer and a producer a wide berth for creative involvement just as I know you were happy with the freedom you had to direct Poltergeist so wonderfully. Through the screenplay you accepted a vision of this very intense movie from the start and as the director you delivered the goods. You performed responsibly and professionally throughout. And I wish you great success on your next project. So what does that tell you there? That tells me that Spielberg is very humble and he's giving credit where credit is due. But I think at the end of the day, he knows who did the majority of the work yes. here. It was kind of like, like, we don't want to take this the wrong way. We don't want to, you know, cause a conflict. But it's saying like, it, it could be like, you know, it's like, I, I'm just giving you a proper, you know, I did do this but i'm giving you the credit that you did do this so nothing and good luck on your future projects because here's the truth uh tobe's future projects i looked them up they were not as successful he did a lot of really crappy movies they were really bad i guess some of them didn't even go to theaters when they did they didn't do that great in the box office some of them got negative criticism Oh, okay. So it's kind of like uh, he was part of this Poltergeist movie, but he didn't do much and he wasn't able to take anything that he might have learned into his other movies. So, I mean, how can one director, so to speak, quote unquote, director, Tope Hopper, do such a great movie like Poltergeist and then fail consecutively in every other project he's had after? It kind of It's kind of telling us that now we know who really did the work. Because Spielberg uh, just kept hitting them he was just getting hit after hit spielberg never failed on one of his movies and this guy has his name on one good movie that spielberg helped make and that's all he's good for yeah and you do have people that try to give tobe hopper the credit but it's like but why aren't we seeing those efforts in that film into his other films like why aren't we seeing that so unfortunately for him the only success he can do was making sequels or producing sequels to his original masterpiece, which was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Because it is his film, so he has the right to produce it or direct it. But for the newer sequels, he pretty much just produced it. 
Got it. So mm-hmm. other directors were directing those movies and making those successes on those franchises. But the thing was is that it was pretty much showing that after the Poltergeist movie that his career just went downhill on his directing. And pretty much saying that when people say like, oh, well, he did put in the effort. Oh, I did put in the effort. I did did this. It's, well, okay, you did that for this movie. Okay, why aren't your other movies successful? Right. You yeah, know? right. You know, but we don't really know. But like people who watch movies and watch their works, we can tell who put in the effort. Yeah. That's why, even though, like, you know, we talk about, okay, how do we know who puts in the work? How do we know? You people, the instructors, will recognize who does what. And we'll see, like, okay, I feel like I know who did this. I right. think I know who did that. Right. There's always that one student in a group project that doesn't put in the work. <laughs> right yeah. right quick story um this is something that for me that i think how they kind of got the idea of poltergeist I, I could be wrong there was a show called the twilight zone and there was an episode called like i think they called the fourth dimension and the little girl file uh, was sleeping in her bed and when she rolled off the bed she disappeared oh but the, yet they can hear her voice okay throughout the house and then they call somebody to come in and he found a portal and he says he believes this is the fourth dimension. And, of course, he goes in the dimension and they rescue the girl and they pull her back out. Okay. Right? Yeah, that's very familiar. And that's similar to Poltergeist. Like, the little girl goes into the closet, well, gets sucked into the closet and they can't find her. But yet when they turn on the TV, they can hear her. Hmm. Right? And then, of course, the mother goes in to rescue her and they pull her out. Yes. Okay. So I see that similarity and maybe that's where they kind of got that little idea, like, she goes into another world, and then they rescue her out. And in this Twilight episode came out before Poltergeist. Yeah, it came out. Oh. Yeah, the Twilight Zone. Yeah. Yep. Background trivia on Poltergeist. Uh, you want to hear this, Nat? Yeah, I'm fascinated. Okay. So, Spielberg also based the movie, also based on a family in New York. The family is called the Herman Family. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I guess uh, the story about that is, I guess the family was experiencing paranormal activities similar to poltergeist. Okay. Yeah, some type of story. I don't know the full details about it, but that's where Spielberg also got most of his ideas. Yeah, and even in his documentary on HBO Max, that pretty much his imagination as a child is what he got those ideas for, like the tree, hearing voices in the TV, that's just what he said that he would get the ideas from when he was just a child was like i would think i would hear voices blah 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 you know got it i feel like his childhood was really traumatic but i don't know well if we watch the documentary about him he did um have a stressful uh childhood as an um education <laughs> he had a uh, did he have like a bad time in school you mean yes he had a bad time in school okay and it's like think about like our son for example certain things they do really well in but certain things they don't do well in and the things you don't do well in are the important things in life yeah things that uh, you technically need to continue on to school but they cause you stress yes so like what spielberg was is that he was good with camera work but school was just difficult for him remember he wanted to go to usc but because of his grades they were not good of course usc is a very prestige uh, university in Southern California, right? Right. So, yeah, because you, your aunt went there, too. Yes, I bet she it did. was hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But 
the guy was so talented on his camera skills, he didn't really need to go to school, of course. He he was just naturally gifted. Yes. Yeah. And for context, contents, I want to add that um, with the difficulty in school part with our son, uh, Philly is talking about our son who's autistic. And he's just in kindergarten right now. But, you know, it, it is something that we're well aware of. And it can. It can, it can hinder your ability to socialize in school and do well and feel good about yourself. So if Spielberg was going through these things and you know his only outlet was camera work, I'm, I'm not surprised because he's an excellent director and an excellent cinematographer for these reasons. Yeah, it's just certain disabilities can be very unique. Let's just say it that way. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel, uh, are, you, are you implying that Spielberg is autistic as well? I believe he is because... Um, when we freaked out about the whole our son being autistic, I was just looking up his type of uh, autism. Okay. It says here, 10 famous people who may have been on the autism spectrum. Let's see who they are. So I'm going to tell you who has this type of spectrum. It says 10 famous people who may have been on the autism spectrum, right? Okay. So, of course, Albert Einstein, Bill Gates... Steve Jobs, Wolfgang Amidius Mozart, okay. Tim Burton, Bob Dylan, wow, even Thomas Jefferson, Andy Warhol, Nikola Tesla, and, of course, Steven Spielberg. Yes, and I'm also reading here that he um, has Asperger's Syndrome. Oh, yeah. Yes. See, like, so people don't freak out in the world when you hear that if you have some type of disorder or disability, the names we just gave you, these people have brought a lot to the world. Yes, they're like, very talented, very intelligent. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes those disorders can just bring out the best. The thing is, you might not know it, but now you hear these names, you're like, wow, Steve Jobs, the guy who ran Apple, or Steven Spielberg, the biggest director in the world. Right. You think about, if I have this, I can be like him. Yeah, I can be successful and I can be, uh, you know, notable for the talents that I have, even though they struggle in certain areas, they excel in so many other ones and they bring such a positive light to the world. You know, I think that's the beauty in, in autism or ASD is these people have a talent and they put themselves, their entire selves into this passion that they have and they create amazing things. Yes. And that's what autism does, you know? Yes. So... Parents, if you have kids that are diagnosed, don't take it hard. Trust me. Kids, we we yeah. seen it. We felt that way too. But then when you see how many people, well, not just wealthy people, but how many talented people out there in the world see their background and you actually find out that, what? They have it too? I thought like, we think that like, oh, their, their lives are over. But then you see that, no, it's a, that disability can be a benefit to them. Not only to them, but to the world, I, I think so. Yeah, to the world. But, yeah. the, but the skill. Yes. The disability can be a skill. Yes. Yeah. So, and now you wonder why Spielberg is such a good director, right? Yeah, that's his passion. That's his passion. And look what he did a Poltergeist, right? Right. Now going to the whole cast. So the cast of Poltergeist had some dark moments. Okay. So I think I've heard of this before. Yeah, so we talked about it, you even looked it up, and it's kind of weird that this would happen um, in the movie after it was made. So we all know Carol Ann, right? It's a little girl, the actor? The little yes. actress? He Heather O'Rourke. 
sadly she died at the age of 12. How she died? Cardiac arrest. It's very, very strange for a little girl to have this happen to her at a young, young age. There's no uh, background information if she had like previous medical issues? Not that I looked up. Usually they keep things like that for kids personal, I would think. Unless the parents are very expressive or maybe I just didn't find that information. Oh, I mean, I, I guess... Um, it's very bizarre, as you mentioned, for a child to have essentially a heart attack. Yeah, at car- that age. yeah a cardiac arrest. That's something that an adult would have. Right. Mostly an elderly adult would have, or someone who just doesn't take care of themselves. Right. Right. And she died months before the release of Poltergeist 3. Oh, so soon after that. Okay. Oh, yeah. So the next actor or actress, Dominique Dunn, she played the older sister, the teenage daughter. And she was murdered in November, the year the movie was released. Wow. Yes. It's it's pretty strange that this is like a weird phenomenon, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you want to hear something really scary about the movie? Okay. So you know the part where the mom falls into the pool? Okay, yeah. So you think those skeletons were just regular props? Don't tell me they were real human skeletons. They were. No. Why? Oh my god. No. Yeah. And the reason why they did that is is because it was cheaper. No. Yeah. How was that cheaper? Because I guess model skeletons were much more than a dead body, I guess. Wow. Yeah, it's sick, huh? That is sick. Yeah, but even like the whole series of Poltergeist, even the sequels, even a few actors have died. There's this Native American actor that was in this movie. Well, the second one. And he died... And it was weird. It's all health conditions. Okay. And, and isn't it just weird? Like when you do certain movies like this and things like this happen, mostly health or what do you say? Like not karma, but it's just a phenomenon of these events just happening. Yeah, I have heard of other movies that are horror movies or uh, paranormal movies. And it's almost like the cast is haunted afterwards. <laughs> I have heard of this will require some research on my end, but... There's a movie that was being done in the set entirely, the entire set burned down. All this very suspicious and mysteriously, right? And, and I'm assuming that these actors that also passed away, that it happened under suspicious circumstances as well, right? Yes. So I, I've heard, yes, we've heard of these things. Yeah. And it's just weird how this happened. It's just, it's very strange. But other cast members are still alive to this day. And one notable actor, we all know him. He's still alive. But this is funny because you see all these movies. And out of all these movies, you only know one actor, right? One big actor, right? Yeah. And this big actor is well known as Craig T. Nelson. Craig T. Nelson, all right. You know him. Mr. Incredible, uh, Blades of Glory. Yeah, yes. Yeah, he's been in a lot of big movies. But in that movie, this movie was made in 82, and honestly, for all of us, he's the only one we would know in that movie. Right. Yeah, pretty much. So uh, this is the last part I'll go with it, a few parts uh, before we switch to the next film. So did you know for the part of Carol Ann, it was between Heather O'Rourke and Drew Barrymore? Oh, so we could have seen Drew Barrymore in this. Yes, correct. Yes. Wow. Yes. This was also part of uh, the Spielberg documentary on Poltergeist. It was a debate between the two. Okay. But Spielberg picked Heather O'Rourke, right? 
put Drew Barrymore in E.T. because both of these movies were being made in the same year. Oh, right. Okay. Yes. So remember, Spielberg was doing two movies at the same time. Right. Right. And the other director, Tobe Hopper, was directing Poltergeist. Got it. Yeah. And the last little bit of information. So earlier we were talking about Tobe Hopper and his projects, right? Sure. Yes. So I just remembered he had another project but this was before Poltergeist, but after the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Okay, right in between. So this was kind of like his little rights right here. So he did a mini series. So it was just, uh, we can say a long movie, just broke it up in three different forms or two different, three different shows or two different shows. We didn't know because we weren't alive during that time. So this was called Stephen King's Salem's Lot. Oh, he did? Really? Yes. So pretty much maybe after the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, they were like, hey, how about you do the Stephen King Salem's Lot? If you guys don't know what Salem's Lot is, it's that vampire movie Stephen King wrote. So Tobe Hopper directed that. It's actually, actually, it's one of my mom's favorite vampire movies. Oh, very cute. Yes, it's it's a very long movie or should I say mini series? It's a very, well, it's a Stephen King book, right? Right, and I'm assuming this miniseries, because miniseries often have multiple episodes, that the movie was had the ability to be this long because it was broken up into several episodes. Did you know who, who was in that movie, Salem's Lot? Who? Um, Starsky and Hutch, David Sull. So for those who know don't know who he is in the 70s, he was the original Starsky and Hutch. But Salem's Lot was really, it's a really good vampire movie. Oh, I'll have to watch it then. Oh, yeah, you have to watch it, but it's very long, so. Okay, we'll, we'll set up a date. Yeah, but that's the only other project that I think Tobe Hopper did that was really good. Then after was Poltergeist, and then after that, that was pretty much it for him oh, on okay. the directing. Well, you know, you can only go so far, right? Yep, yep. That's all about Poltergeist. So, all right, Bebs, you're next. Okay, my turn. I have a movie for you. <laughs> this movie actually scared me, legitimately scared me as a child. There's two There's two movies from my childhood that legitimately terrified me, and the first was Pinocchio. The second... <laughs> you can laugh. I'll allow you to laugh at that. And the second movie is this 1988 horror child's play. Chucky. Yes, Chucky. I don't remember how old I was the first time I saw Chucky. I, I think I only saw it once as a kid. And, but clearly I blacked out from fear because I don't remember half the movie. But that's how bad it scared me. This rated R film had a budget of $9 million but grossed over $44 million worldwide. <laughs> it, was yeah. it was directed by Tom Holland. The main antagonist of the movie is uh, possessed by a doll named Charles Lee Ray, or uh, commonly known as Chucky. Yes. <laughs> he was named after the notorious uh, Charles Manson, Lee Harvey Oswald, oh. and James Earl Ray. Wow. Well, I didn't know that about Chucky. <laughs> yeah, so they his so Chucky's full name, like I said, was Charles Lee Ray, and they took the three names from these uh, notorious bad guys. Yeah. So yeah, so growing up, I, I never had I never had dolls. Okay, I had Barbies, I had other toys. I never had a doll, and I'm never gonna get a doll, and my <laughs> daughter's never gonna have a doll. Just so you know, I'm laying that boundary down now. This massive franchise produced eight films, all have been that all have been made about Chucky from its original in 1988 to the most recent reboot in 2019. Mm. Um, there's even talk of a possible Freddy and Chucky crossover coming up because <laughs> I, this is crazy for me. 
Uh, one of the original screenwriters called Don uh, Machini, he said, I would really like to see Freddy and Chucky have a contest to see who can kill the most teenagers before the sun comes up. That's his idea. <laughs> <laughs> you know, nothing is set in stone yet. This is also just hearsay that I, I, I read online while doing research, but that's damn terrifying if you ask me. A quick summary of this movie, if you don't remember. Uh, the dying murderer, uh, Charles Lee Ray, uses voodoo magic to put his soul into a doll named Chucky. Later on, a mother, uh, whose name is Karen, uh, buys the doll for her young son, Andy. When Chucky kills Andy's babysitter, the boy realizes the doll is alive and that it's possessed, and he tries to warn people, but he's institutionalized. No one believes him, and now the mother has to convince everybody, detectives, that there's a murderous doll on the loose, and it's going to go after her son. <laughs> I know. I remember seeing it. It's supposed to be scary, but the voice what's his name brad oh my god he made it's the dolls trying to kill people but yet the dude's voice it's like oh god it's so funny you think it's funny how old were you the first time you saw chucky oh jesus i forgot how old i was i was just like a kid but it wasn't like a memorable movie for you well chucky is well known for just being that one killer that has a rough attitude i mean he's a doll <laughs> well yeah he's a doll but like he says like you Bitch. You're like, <laughs> you like, like you hear all slashers when they cuss, but it's funny when you hear it from a doll. I guess it could be funny, but for like someone like me, that it really was scary for me. I don't know why. I really can't explain why. I also I think it says a lot about me that Pinocchio is also my top two like scariest films for me. <laughs> yeah, that's just me. Uh, let, let's get back to the facts. The original title for this movie was going to be Batteries Not Included. There's a movie called Batteries Not Included, and yeah, it's a space robot movie, but anyways, mm. yeah. Okay, so yeah, clearly that's not the, the name. They, they went with Child's Play. So the director, Tom Holland, actually makes a couple cameo appearances in the movie. He is uh, the costume host of the good guy show that Andy is watching mm -hmm. and towards the beginning of the movie. And he's also seen in pictures around the house as the deceased father of Andy. Oh. So he's in the movie a couple of times. You never know. It's the director. Yep. Do you know how they made the doll, like the character, how they made it work in the movie? Did they probably make a mechanical doll? Yes. They used various ways of like RC animatronics. Mm -hmm. They also used child actors and they, <laughs> and they used little people as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I think when they have to make Chucky do certain things or like move in a certain way that animatronics doesn't, you know, move that way, they use yeah. humans. So there's a few movie goofs um, that I looked up because mm -hmm. they were working with the doll, right? Essentially, mm -hmm. um, you can see the crew and equipment in some parts throughout the movie. Uh... For one, there's a huge film light visible in the sky just before the car chase scene like when the car flips over during the car chase mm -hmm. you can see a, a giant film light there oh shoot mm -hmm. you can also see that somebody an arm or a hand is moving chucky um when he's barricaded in the fireplace <laughs> um and he's trying to escape because karen's like beating him up you can mm -hmm. see a human hand moving him that's just a few that i'm using to remind myself that this is just a movie mm -hmm. <laughs> because you know movies are fake and it's not real life yeah that's chucky yeah, Chucky Child's Play, and yes, like you said, there are so many that were made, but nobody can beat the original, like where it originally started. Some people said they it started like with Chucky this or Chucky that, but people don't remember. It's like, no, they started with Child's Play. That's where he started. Right. That's where his or that was his origin story. Yeah, that's his origin story. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Chucky, Chucky. <laughs> All right, go for another one. 
Okay, I'll give you um, something less intense. <laughs> Let's talk about Casper the Friendly Ghost. Casper. Right. So originally we know it was a show, but in um, 1995, this movie was produced by our very own favorite, Steven Spielberg. Oh, yeah, that's right. It opened uh, number one over uh, Memorial Day weekend, grossing $16 million over its first three days. Mm -hmm. uh, overall, its worldwide earnings were $287.9 million. Wow, that's Spielberg Productions for you. Of course, and its budget was only $55 million. Wow, so they made four times, huh? Essentially, yes. But it didn't have the best ratings at the time. It landed on 51% view viewer approval. And I don't know why. I don't think, I don't understand why critics are reviewing a children's movie and trying to, you know, yeah. uh, rate it against standards of like a, a larger movie. This is just a kid's movie. So. Yeah, it's just a kid's movie. What? Yeah. Everybody <laughs> knew Casper the, the Ghost was a kid's show. Well, of course they know it's going to be only kid friendly. Yeah. So like these huge movie critics are coming in and saying this movie sucks 51%. Okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Some people. Yeah. And, uh, oh, fun fact, this is the first feature film to have a fully computer-generated visual effects character as the leading role. Oh. Yeah, ever. This was, for its time, you know, regardless of its bad reviews, for its time, this was high-tech movie effects, you know? Mm -hmm. This was really cool for, for its time. Did you know that the house that the movie was set in was also used as the background for the Backstreet Boys music video, Everybody? Oh, what? Yeah, really? it was the same house. Yeah, and also it was like... The Backstreet Boys was supposed to be like a scary, like a horror Yeah, yeah, you background. see them yeah. dressed up as vampires and, were and werewolves, yeah. So, another fun fact, Hocus Pocus's Thora Birch auditioned and was considered for the role of Cat. But of course we have Christina Ricci, you know, we love her as Wednesday Adam in the 1991 <laughs> Adam's Family film. Mm -hmm. um, this is one of those instances, though, that I, although Cat is great in this movie, I wouldn't have been mad if I saw Thora Birch yeah. in her place instead. Yeah, I see. Yeah. Like, you know, other movies we say, oh, I can't imagine this actor. I can't imagine this role being played by any other actor, but I, I would have liked to see Thora Birch in it, if yeah. I'm being honest. Um, some fun cameo appearances, of course, that, that you know are Dan Aykroyd, Mel Gibson, Clint Eastwood, and Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> this movie was a lot of fun to watch. This movie had a lot of great actors in it, all these little cameo appearances, and it was a fun story. I don't care about what the reviews say. This is a classic. And mm -hmm. it will continue to be a classic, I think. Yeah, it's a good 90s flick. Yes. Heck yeah, it is. Yeah, that's I, Casper. Yeah, that's Casper. Like, I do remember those scenes with the cameo appearances when the ghosts go into the dad and he looks in the mirror and he turns into Clint Eastwood. <laughs> and you could tell Clint Eastwood had to say his line and everybody likes how Clint Eastwood says his serious lines because usually it's wisecrack or it's just mean, um, something mean. Right, right. <laughs> he's like, oh, okay, <laughs> you know. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, and then, of course, Rodney Dangerfield, him and his uh, wisecracks, too. <laughs> I really like to see Dan Aykroyd in it. That was fun. Oh, yeah, when he, it's supposedly, he's actually playing Ray. Right, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, from Ghostbusters. And he's like, who are you going to call? Someone else. <laughs> <laughs> and he runs away. And he's supposed to capture the ghost. Right, right. It's just a little fun kind of joke on the, the Ghostbusters, right? Yeah. And speaking about Ghostbusters, guess what our last topic for the night is? Mm, could it be Ghostbusters? Wow, you just took the words out of my mouth. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, yes, she's right. It is Ghostbusters, the 
well-known 80s flick that just revolutionized Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, and Ernie Hudson, Sigourney Weaver. Love her. Oh, yeah. It's funny, huh, that we were talking about her a few weeks ago about Alien and that she got into this movie as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So... Talking about Ghostbusters, it's funny that you brought up Ray from Casper, and now we're bringing him up for Ghostbusters, right? So the movie came out in 1984. So this is still for the 80s babies. All right, them 80s babies. Yes, but hey, we liked it too. We loved watching it too. Of course we do. Oh, yeah. So the movie was directed and produced by Ivan Reitman, who's notable for a majority of comedy films made from the 80s to 2020s. Okay. So... He directed and he even produced some. So some movies that you're like, hey, he did this movie. Oh, he produced a movie, right? Okay. You know what's funny when you brought when I brought up Ivan Reitman, you told me that you seen him before, but you never knew who he was. Yes, without giving away too much information, I used to work for a company where a lot of celebrities would kind of walk in casually, <laughs> and I would see them every now and again. So, yes, I've seen him before. Yes, which is why I bring this part up, that he was living in Montecito, which is next to Santa Barbara. Where I'm from. Where, where the Nat Attack's from, right? Right. And he, of course, has children. One of his kids was actually going to Santa Barbara City College, where yeah. I went, where Nat went. Right. Right? But the reason why is because Santa Barbara City College is, what you said, Nat, uh, one of the top 10 community colleges in the United States. Right, and it's very popular with international students. And it's very popular in the film productions field. It has a great program, yes. It has a really good program there. That's where they do the Santa Barbara Film Festival, and there's always big actors that go there. So one year it can be this person, it could be that person. Even Nat's cousin was invited by Jeff Bridges to go to the Santa Barbara Film Festival. Right, yeah, she did his makeup. She did his makeup, the right? Fun thing, the fun thing was, another fun fact, Philip, of course, I'm sure you remember, is that we used to live down the street from um, the Arlington Theater, where this international film festival oh, yes. would go on every year. So yeah. once a year, our block would be packed with cars and limos, and we couldn't drive through it because all these celebrities were making their way inside this theater. Yeah, we used to live in front of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So unfortunately, that director passed away February 12, 2022, which was this year. Oh, God rest his soul. Yeah, God rest us all, yeah. But we remember him for producing, directing these big movies for us to laugh. Yes, that's great. Right. So if you think of his movies, it should be pretty easy to remember uh, which movies he did for some of us. For some of you guys who don't know, I'll throw some titles out, such as Twins, Kindergarten Cop, Beethoven, Space Jam. Oh. Yeah, Space Jam. And, of course, our topic, Ghostbusters. Right on. Right. So, where did this idea of Ghostbusters come from, Nat? Uh, Was it a dream? Was it a dream? (laughs) Like the Terminator? It was a dream, actually, for the Terminator. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, the idea came from Dan Aykroyd. He wrote a a little draft based on his family's experience with uh, paranormal and supernatural experiences. So, he was just thinking about it, and he decided to draft this this Ghostbusters script, right? Okay. In his idea, he originally wanted Eddie Murphy and a legend, John Belushi, in the film. Oh. Yes. But, of course, there was a downfall, right? What happened was, of course, 
John Belushi passed away. Right. Right? And they were very close to each other. Of course, the Blues Brothers, right? Right. But also in Saturday Night Live skits as well. They were always together, right? Right. But it was very unclear to find out why Eddie Murphy wasn't in that. Like, I guess maybe they just didn't move forward with him or maybe he had other plans going on, right? Maybe, yeah. Yeah, it's a possibility. They also went to another comedian that could help out on the film. And we know him. His name is Bill Murray. Oh, Bill Murray. Okay. Oh, yeah. That was another pick for them. Another big comedian at that time. A rising comedian at that time. Well, he was actually pretty big already as it was. Right? And then they all know these. They're all these. Just like Adam Sandler, right? They all know. Have this special group of cast members and directors. Correct? Right. So... They know this one director, which is, we just brought him up, Rankman, to direct the film. And of course, he said yes, right? Because he likes directing with Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, because they did a movie together, too, called Stripes. So they all decided to meet mostly him and Aykroyd, Rankman and Aykroyd, in L.A. to go over the script together. And over there, guess who else showed up? Tell me. Harold Ramis. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was another well-known comedian director. He did other movies, too, with Aykroyd and, and Bill Murray and even with Rankman, right? Mm-hmm. And also he was part of, yeah, of course, part of Stripes, right? So they met up and they were going over the script because Harold Ramis was good at writing scripts as well. Pretty much writing stories or making fixes and so forth, so forth, right? Okay. But when he was looking at the script and Rankman was looking at the script, he's like, Looking at one of these characters, I feel like you can be a Ghostbuster. Maybe because Harold looks intelligent, just the way he looks with glasses, right? Right. So Harold Ramis looking at the script, he's like, you know what? Yeah, I want to be in this. I want to be part of this movie, right? You know, because some actors, they just, well, some actors, some people just fit the role already. Right. Without even being like, nah, you need an audition. Like, no, I do see you as like some intelligent guy that can... Figure out how to catch a ghost uh, with your smarts. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. With your smarts. With your smarts, right. Even though the script was not even finished yet, Raymond still pitched it to Columbia. Why? He just knew it was a good idea, even though the script still needed to be finished. And guess what happened? The executive at Columbia okayed it. He did. An, he, un- an unfinished script. He was like, yeah, let's do this. Yeah, he's like, let's do this. But the thing is, the reason why the script wasn't finished was because Aykroyd's original idea was to make it futuristic. And the idea would cost to Rayman like $200 million to make. No way. That's ridiculous. Yes. He said, that's way too expensive. Let's try to get it between 20 to 30 mil at least uh, even a, though that's still a lot of money that's a big i mean that's a lot of money to us but, yeah you know j- jumping from 200 million down to 30 uh, okay yeah but you know that's the film industry right okay yeah but the executive was like you know what i want you to do it right so they're like okay let's get to it right the ceo of columbia found out right and he was like what the heck is this guy doing so he sends his lawyer to go talk to this executive who is Frank Price during that time. And he was like, dude, don't move forward with this. Don't just be giving handouts to directors. And he said, like, well, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm still going to move forward with this, right? Okay, that's a ballsy move. That's a ballsy move, right? <laughs> and I respect so, it. And I yeah. respect that. But then guess what happened? So that Frank Price character left Columbia and went to Universal. Oh, how convenient. Yeah, how convenient. But this is where it gets better. 
So there was a copyright issue with the title Ghostbusters. Okay. So Ghostbusters was actually owned by Universal because it used to be a children's show and Universal owned it, owned oh. the title, the Ghostbusters or Ghostbusters, right? Got it. So they were trying to figure out a new name, but because Frank Price left Columbia and now started running Universal, he just made it easy for them to continue on by saying that, hey, how about this? I'll sell you guys the the rights for 500k and let let me have 1% of the film profit. Oh my gosh, it, movie title discounts? Yes. <laughs> Pretty much because if he wasn't at Universal, it'd probably be really hard to get the title Ghostbusters. Right, if it already existed, right. Yeah. So, of course, the dude helped them out, so they decided to move forward with the title Ghostbusters. So, based on the writings, the writers characterized themselves, right? Oh, so he's just like, I'm just going to write myself into this movie. Yes, or I'm going to write this person into this movie. I'm going to write Harold Ramis into this movie, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that was. it's pretty, uh, yeah, if you're a screenwriter, you can kind of do whatever you want. And if you get that approval, hey, by all means, go ahead. But you better do one heck of a job, right? Right. So, even though they wrote the script and the characters, they had one tiny little problem. What's that? Bill Murray. What's wrong with Bill Murray? So Bill Murray had a history of being undecisive. So he wouldn't make up his mind till the last day or change his mind. Okay. So they were kind of worried about this situation with Bill Murray. Not like his promises, like he breaks them. It's just that he's undecisive when he, if he wants to do it or if he does not want to do it, right? Okay. Because of him, they had to actually do um, auditions and decide who can play his part, which is Venkman, right? And they had all these iconic comedians to audition for his role. So, of course, Chevy Chase. There was a lot of really big comedian actors during that time that went for that role, right? But, of course, Bill Murray went through, so pretty much it was just a waste of their time, pretty much, right? So, now to casting Dana Barrett. They were trying to figure out who can play that part. And Julia Roberts was actually part of that audition. Oh, wow. Yeah. But this person got their attention. And it had to do with one of her big movies, Alien. We all know her. Sigourney Weaver. Right. Something about Sigourney Weaver, like, something about her is drawing attention to put her in this movie. And it had to be be Alien. Because she did really good in Alien. And that was the movie that pretty much generated her career from there on out. Right? So they casted her as Dana Barrett. Okay. Now to the other little minor roles, or should I say supporting roles. So we all know Louis Tolley, right? Yes. That very intellectual, talks a lot with Dana, annoys Dana, right? Right. So originally their priority choice was John Candy. Oh. We all know John Candy, right? Uncle Buck. Yes, of course. He didn't have to audition. He was offered the role. But he wanted to change the character. What he felt that the character should be like. And of course, the production team did not agree with it. So he just parted ways like, no, I'm not going to do it. Okay. Because he wanted Tully to be German with a German accent. Oh, that makes no sense at all. Yeah, he's like, if you guys do let the character be that way, I'll be in it. But they all disagreed and he was like, if that's the case, then... Bye-bye. But I don't think he was that mean to do it that way. So Reitman was like, hey, I worked with this other comedian guy. He's actually pretty good. Let's let's cast this guy, which was Rick Moranis. Oh, of course. Yeah, I like that, dude. Honey, mm-hmm. I shrunk the kids. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Let me tell you guys this. How long do you think it took to produce this movie? Um, I would say at least a couple of years. Yeah. So 
from the day he pitched it to Columbia, they had 13 months. 13 months? 13 months. That's no time. Yeah, that means that everybody has to be committed. Everybody has to know their stuff. Because, well, pretty much back then to make a movie, I would think, yeah, that's almost the right amount of time. But if it costs a lot, I think they would be like, hey, you guys got to push it. We can't be wasting this much money. We capped you at this amount, you know? Right. So... So, of course, they it took them 13 months to film it. It cost 25 to 30 just like what Rankman said. And guess how much it profited after that? Oh, I'm dying to know. $295 million. Not surprised. Wow. Huh. That's right. a big wow. That's almost one-third of a billion. <laughs> that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money, yes. In the 80s, that's a lot. Yeah, think about it. If it would have came out now... You would have to multiply this number by what, like two or three? Yeah. Yeah, that's about right. So Ghostbusters was just a big 80s film that everybody started singing the song by Ray Parker Jr. If there's something strange <laughs> in the neighborhood, <laughs> who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. Yeah, that movie produced that song, and that song is really big, and so is the, the Ghostbusters symbol, the, the white ghost. Yeah. Under the nose sign. It is a big, iconic millennial film to ever come out in our generation. Yeah, and like I said before, it's definitely in our collection, and we watch it every year. I watch it when it's not Halloween time. Yeah, I watch it. Yeah, same here. And unfortunately, uh, we all know that... Um, the director passed away, of course, we mentioned that, but also Harold Ramis passed away a few years back too. And it was sad to say that they wanted to make a sequel, but unfortunately he passed away. So they were like, how are we going to make a sequel without him, right? Right. So they made, of course, another spinoff sequel. It still was okay, but it just didn't have that original touch. Right. And I, I hate to say this, but I couldn't watch it. I couldn't watch the the one with the women, although they're great actresses and, yeah. you know, they're very popular. I couldn't take the original Ghostbusters out of my head. I couldn't replace that with any other image because it's just so yeah. iconic, you know? Yeah, and even though they made cameo appearances, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, and Ernie Hudson, but they even dedicated the film to Harold Ramis, oh, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. But they did make a sequel to the original Ghostbusters that came out last year. We just saw it this year because that's when it popped up for free for us. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's called Ghostbusters Afterlife. And it was directed by Ivan Reitman's son. Really? Jason Reitman. Yes. Yeah. It's like father, like son, right? Oh, that's great. Make a movie that your father did. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen it. It, it. It's okay. And the movie is based upon Egon's kid. Well, not his kid, but his. I think his granddaughter. Okay. Yeah. And of course... Same thing. It goes back to the first Ghostbusters with uh, Gozer. Okay. Yeah. And they do make an appearance again. Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, Ernie Hudson. But it was just so hard because you know, there's no Egon. Unfortunately, he passed away. And they did kind of bring it back. They did a CGI of him. Okay. Yeah, to kind of bring him back in a way. But, you know, it's, it's like what we said. They should have done it years ago but it was still good but it's just kind of hard to watch newer ones but it does have that that little bit of touch of the original ghostbusters which is really all we can ask for oh yeah but anyways all i can say is that was it for ghostbusters wow that was a great film yeah you know one thing i think about that movie what 
like just the whole movie was that um, the Safe Puff Marshmallow Man. <laughs> I love that. I I was the, I, as a kid when you know of course he blows up and all the marshmallow pieces are falling down. I wanted to be that guy in the center <laughs> where the whole marshmallow puddle just landed on top of you. I would have just had my mouth open and just like swallow all that. The, oh yeah, I know our our son would probably do the same thing. Oh, like get the graham crackers, get the chocolate, <laughs> <laughs> get the s'mores up. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was funny to have uh, to be creative and put a marshmallow man <laughs> as the threat to New York City. Right. No, what I thought was really funny is how uh, you got to remind me exactly scene by scene because you're really good at that. The they say whatever the, the next thing you think of is gonna be what terrorizes the city. And, and it, Ray. Yeah, Dan Aykroyd. It's like guys, don't think of anything. <laughs> Yeah, and Ray's just looking down. You can tell he's looking down, and then goes just like the choice is made. Mm-hmm. And Bill Murray's like, "What? No, no, no!" And he's like asking everybody, and he, he realizes that, "Oh, I didn't ask Ray." And then Ray's like, "He just popped in there," and next thing you know, you just see a big old marshmallow man terrorizing the city. <laughs> right. It's so hard to be. I, I can't imagine it'd be so hard to be scared yeah, of that. It, right? It's funny. It's supposed to be kind of scary, but the, of course it's a comedy, so they made it funny by yeah. putting a marshmallow man <laughs> stumping all over cars and stuff. Right, right. Yeah. But yeah, they even made some little bit of freaky parts, but I always thought it was funny. Like another funny scene I thought was hilarious was when when Ray, uh, the, first, um, the first ghost, the green one, when he chases it, and then Bill Murray's just walking, like, because he thinks that everything's just stupid in general, right? right? And then he sees the ghost, and he's like, come in, Ray. He's like, I saw I saw I saw it. It's right here, Ray. It's looking at me. <laughs> and he's like, ugly little fella. He's like, I think he can hear you, Ray. Don't move. It won't hurt you. And then it comes after, and he's like, ah! And it comes after him. <laughs> and it's funny, because I like the part, it's like, it won't hurt you. And it just, like, charges right at him. No, and, right, right. And then, of course, Rayman's on the floor, and he's all slimed up. He's like, what happened? What happened? He slimed me. <laughs> <laughs> that was a really great balance of, like, horror and, and, and comedy. comedy. Yeah. I, I always liked that little transition. Don't move. He It won't hurt you. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Was there any other funny parts you thought about that movie? Um. No, not that I can think of right now. I'm blanking out. Just the giant marshmallow. Just the giant marshmallow. <laughs> there was other good ones too, but I feel like that's it for the rest of the night, right? Or the rest of the day. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So there's your Halloween session for this week. This is Philly Phil. And this is Nat Attack. And we are the Millennials of SoCal. That's so yesterday. Three weeks down, two more to go for the month of October. That's right. Get those pumpkins from the pumpkin patch before the sun sets because more freaks are coming out at night. Still can't believe there are more titles to chat about to bring some excitement or terror for your Halloween night. Titles such as The Thing from the Master of Horror himself, J.C., a.k.a. John Carpenter, Scooby Dooby Doo, The Original Simpsons Special, A Science Experiment Gone Wrong in The Fly, Full House with the conclusion of Disney's The Haunted Mansion, coming next week on the Millennials of SoCal podcast. 